We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? I like men like that. Men who give me pleasure. I've never had feelings like this. I have to get them into some sort of order. If you have to talk, remember to ask lots of work questions if you want more than a yes or no answer. You will just have an exam. You just take them to the lavatory and you have sex with them. Weird not having anybody come on you. Hey, we're back. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Mary. It's been a while since we've been on our erotic films. I know series. I feel like we actually haven't recorded for ages. I know it's crazy. How have you been? Um, I've been good. I'm just sitting in my office. Um, everyone else has gone home it seems like so last time I recorded in my office I got really freaked out when I finished because it was like dark and abandoned oh my god kind of horror movie conditions which is perfect for October yes finally October vibes October vibes is the month of your birthday yeah I can't believe it it's the month of Halloween very exciting um and you've got some news too Yeah, well, um, I'm very excited to announce I'm going to be a teaching fellow at Global Center for Advanced Studies, GCIS. (laughs) Professor Wilde. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds like a Bond villain. It does. (laughs) Yeah, super excited. So I'm going to be teaching for them starting in January. My first course will be on Woody Allen movies. So it's exciting. Amazing. That's such a good course. (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you. So the London Film Festival, yes, press screenings are underway. Yes. Have you seen anything so far or just watched anything on the digital libra- library yet? So far, I haven't seen. Uh, the only thing I've seen is Emily the Criminal. Ooh, how was that? Um, I liked it, but it was a change of pace to see Aubrey Plaza not doing comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I think it had the discomfort of that. Like it is, I, I so think of her as a comic actress so this is I think it's probably her first non-comic role so it's a little bit like watching the Truman Show you know like oh, yeah. it's a little bit disconcerting but I thought it was good I thought she was really good in that really um, but no that. I've mainly I can probably only kind of afford to take the actual festival days yeah of work so yeah. um, I'm going to be starting on Wednesday when it officially starts what okay, about you cool. well I saw Holy Spider I really want to see that it's very good. Very good. No, I love all of the crime at LFF yeah. this year. Cozy crime. Well, not not so cozy in some cases, but like, yeah, seems like a big year for like procedurals and whodunits yes. and things exactly. like that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, Holy Spider, I recommend. And I saw that film Unrest. Um, you know the anarchist film. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I did like that as well. So, so far, I'm actually, you know, batting at a thousand here. Like, Fantastic. It's, it's already a better year than last year. So, 
100%. We had like a little <laughs> fallow season like a, yeah. a film festival. So I'm really, I'm hoping, I have big hopes for this yeah. year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And what else is on your radar? Did you see Don't Worry Darling? No, not yet. I actually haven't seen anything recently apart from, mm. what have I seen? I actually went to go and see that film Fall. You know, oh, the yeah. one about the two girls that are stuck up the tower. Yes. Um, it was great. Really? <laughs> like, it was really good. Like it was like it's really cheesy. Uh-huh. But like I I thought I was gonna faint. It was so scary. Oh, like God. it was and it doesn't it like starts up the side of a mountain and then you get like a small amount of respite and then you're back up uh, in a great high again. So I was like twisted at an angle, like holding on to Alex's arm like oh. it was it was like really uncomfortable and really good Ooh, so good. I just think horror is fun again after yes. a long time I really want to see that film smile I because know, it, looks it looks quite so fun Caitlin Stacy. yeah I like I, I saw I went to see bodies 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 which for me actually wasn't so much fun mm. um mm. I think I'm too old but we had a there was a, the trailer for smile and it scared and I like jumped about three feet in the air when something happened mm. and then I was like on Zodiac I was promoting the BFI's upcoming horror season yeah. um and it, like the post was like we love horror so we really recommend this and Nick and my friend Nick messaged me and was like yeah we love horror you couldn't even watch the trailer for smile <laughs> like, <laughs> I do, I do love it <laughs> but I was just really so I feel like that I'm I just like quite I get the things the sort of mainstream things make me frightened so yes. like, I'm of that generation where like jump scares just really get me basically but that's so, all part of the fun exactly it's part of the fun being scared yeah. by the jump scares yeah for sure um so yeah like I've really haven't seen anything I've, I really want to do want to see don't worry darling but I really annoyingly Mm. read a spoiler by accident oh no so but it kind of makes me want to see it more uh-huh because I kind of think I was like oh that's quite good so and I also I just want to see it because like I'm kind of disconcerted by the glee with which everyone I know has gone at Olivia Wilde I know I that know. I started it like a few <laughs> a few episodes ago on the podcast I was like have you heard but like I didn't I wasn't like have you heard because I no. really want Olivia Wilde destroyed no I was just like have you heard this is funny yeah but yeah like, I am a bit like what have people got against her that they're so pleased that her yeah. film isn't getting very good reviews so I kind of want to see it yeah. and like it because I'm a bit annoyed by this. Like, I understand. Yeah, I understand. I did see it in the end. Ooh. Um, and without you know going into detail, I didn't really think I was gonna like it, but I actually thought it was there was a very good concept that they were playing with, and I thought it was kind of psychoanalytic on the basis of that. So mm. I I would recommend that. I mean, it's Florence Pugh. She's a great actress. So for sure, she's going to nail every scene, you know? Yeah. And she's, it seems like she's in it for like every scene. Basically. Yeah, exactly. You know, she's, yeah. she, the whole thing is like, um, you know, centered around her. So uh, it's worth seeing just for that alone. But actually the concept is very intriguing. Um, and I ended up thinking about it quite a lot. So worth seeing for sure. Is it perfect? No. no <laughs> you know, of course not, but I, I wouldn't have personally had Perry Styles in that. I've um, heard that he's not good. Yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. not Olivia Wilde's fault, you know? Like that's just cuz he sucks in the role. Like she, you know, she 
I, I don't really know her motivation for having him in there. I don't know if they were seeing each other before he auditioned. I don't know the ins and outs, but. Um, well, I'm sure like, even if she had wanted him, like she would have probably had to get it past the studios. Like I'm sure true. the studios were thrilled about the idea of like a pop star being a pop in star, yeah. a film. Like, <laughs> you know, or do they just didn't expect that like, I don't know, it was that she would start dating him and garner the wrath of right. millions of girls worldwide. That's like, the thing. Would be That's the thrilled thing. Thrilled to take her down at the slightest opportunity. It's horrible. It's, it's really horrible. weird. Like it's I don't horrible. know. I just yeah. I, like every time people attack her, I'm like, "That's Alex from the OC, guys." That was my favorite. <laughs> my favorite storyline. <laughs> like, I know. Really, really relive my love of the OC. Relive as if I've ever stopped loving the OC. I watch it Aww. all the time. <laughs> but I mean, I saw a trailer for My Policeman, mm-hmm. which is also in the festival. Yes. Um, but, and that's Harry Styles. And it's like in the trailer, the, I thought he looked well cast for that. May, who knows? Maybe, maybe he will be good in that. So I don't want to say categorically he's a bad actor. Maybe, he, maybe he'll be great in My Policeman. I don't know. But well, in I this. Think, like people so also, like when people do switch careers, they can start out by not being good. Like there are of lots of people that have come from another area and gone, gone into acting. Yeah. And when they start out, they're not great. <laughs> but like if they find the role for them, they can be. I can't think of any examples right now, but I'm sure there are like other musicians and people who like weren't great at first. And Definitely. then and then became really good. Like maybe Cher wasn't that great at first. Yeah. Um, you know, Madonna's never really managed to be great, but she yeah. could be. I mean, she seems to just get like really mad <laughs> as time goes on. But, I know. I don't know. He's also like Harry Styles also like has a bit of like a he's got he keeps saying stupid things about the films that he's in, doesn't he? I know. Like the policeman one, he was like, "It's not like a gay film about two guys being gay, <laughs> like or something like that." What? what? <laughs> so that's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and oh then with like, "Don't worry, darling," he was like, "It's like a movie, like you know, like a movie <laughs> like, that, you to, that you go and see." <laughs> Chris Pine like astral projecting, like. <laughs> So I know what he means by that. He means like you should go to the cinema and see it. Yeah, but, he just meant it's a cinematic experience. Yeah, but he just doesn't. He lacks the language to be able to say that. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, if if I get a chance to see my policeman, I w- I am now curious because I like the trailer. Mm-hmm. I don't um, know. I just feel like it's going to be one of those British films. Yeah, you know, that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> hey, I'm the Anglophile here. Okay. Yeah, you you can go see it. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna go and see the World Cinema instead. Yeah. I'm getting annoyed with British films. Recently. I'll tell you what I did love though is Moonage Daydream. Oh yeah, of course you finally got to see it. I finally got to see it. Attempt. Oh my gosh! Yes, it was wonderful. I saw it at the IMAX, mm-hmm. and uh, it was great. It was wonderful. Great fun. You know, amazing, amazing. Yeah prior to going to see it I was like I kept telling myself you're not gonna cry you're not gonna cry like <laughs> just like as of just course you're had... gonna cry and then as soon as like literally the first frame like I was in tears like it was just like I mean that director though he does direct like sob fests I cried all through Montage of Heck as well yeah. like yeah. you can't yeah. I don't know there's something I mean to be honest that's why I don't listen to music like because I, I don't know. want my emotions to be like Stirred messed like around that. with. Yeah. yeah. Like I'd like to maintain a low emotional state. 
so I can get things done. And I don't want anyone fucking with that. It seems disrespectful. <laughs> like, so yeah, if you're, like, so yeah, if you, you let yourself in for it if you're going to go and see like a music documentary because yeah. that's what music is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you feel things. It's, it's very so powerful. Yeah, it's like too powerful. You yeah. know what I mean? It's too much. It's really, yeah. And it's just, it was magnificent, like the way that it was all, it was all done. So um, yeah, that was a good experience. But yeah, I'm hoping that um, I'm really, I really want to see Smile in the Cinema. Um, well, maybe, maybe, who knows, maybe like in between LFF screenings, I might just like sneak into, because I think it's still playing at the Leicester Square Odeon. Yeah, like text me, maybe we can go together. Like, exactly, if we can fit it in, we can, because I get comps there. <laughs> Yeah, you do. I always forget that. That's how you see so many films. Yeah. <laughs> I have to pay for things like a peasant. Um. <laughs> Just hit me up. <laughs> I will, I will. Honestly, well, yeah, maybe we can fit it in. I think it'll still be playing. I'm just like really annoyed that I missed Orphan First Kill at the cinema. It's I like, know. damn it. I tried to, I like I said to Alex, do you want to come see Orphan First Kill? And he was like, what is that? <laughs> I was like, okay, don't worry. Like, <laughs> it's such a great response. <laughs> yeah. He's such a gen, like, I know, the thing is you're Gen X and you knew what it was, but I don't oh know. God, that's so funny. So funny. Oh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a guy thing because we're probably like, like for sure we saw like the first orphan he probably would never have like seen that because it's like too girly or something i don't yeah, know it's a girl's film it's a orphan. girl's film it is definitely a girl's film like, <laughs> horror is actually quite a girly genre in in like my lifetime mm. horror i think horror is a really girly thing i think so for also, sure have you seen megan is missing yes i have what did you think of that i actually haven't seen it but i listened to a podcast about it um, I think like if someone that f- I follow on Zodiac or follows me on Zodiac Spinsters yeah. of Horror and oh. they did a thing about like um, found footage and it was another film but I hadn't heard of and Megan is missing and it made me really curious to watch it yeah. because they were sort of like discussing like the way that the director like I liked the podcast but I think I'm going to have a different take mm-hmm. because they were sort of discussing the way the director was like I made this as like a public service to teach people things oh, and I was like that sounds bizarre like a bizarre mm-hmm. thing to say about a horror film yeah. and so I'm really kind of interested in like I'm just I'm becoming I'm quite fascinated in like the cognitive gap between this guy's reasoning and his output and I wanted to see it because what if like if the film is how I imagine then I'm really fascinated in this guy's psyche like because he's like you know I I, he's basically thinks he he says he created it out of like like to educate people about the dangers of the internet and I was like it sounds like a completely insane like it sounds like a like a dad's worst nightmare slash fantasy about the dangers of the internet and so yeah I don't know so I was curious to see if you'd seen it oh my gosh I am so blown away learning about that that director's motivations I had I did not know that Mm -hmm. and now that you've told me that he basically was making a PSA it actually makes the film even creepier now now I'm like as I was listening to like the description of what happens I was like this is like this is delusional. This is like yes, it is. This sounds. This makes it seem like this. Like this guy is this guy's like fantasy, I suppose, and he's trying to cover it up. Like I don't know, but yeah, I was about to tell me what you think after you see it because you know it's on YouTube. What? Yeah, the whole thing, like in a really good print. I'll send you the link. Okay, that's so weird because I really thought like. 
I mean, that's oh, it's just so bizarre. Like, I'm just, I'm, you know, like when you're already fascinated around the making of something yes. and like the narrative around a film before you see it. Part of me even doesn't want to see it because I'm worried it will like ruin the idea <laughs> that I have of it. But just the fact that like, you know, all of these teens like picked it up on TikTok during the pandemic, yeah. and he was like, you know, you should, you know, like, if I had known that all these people were going to find it, I would have said there are certain rules. Like, don't watch it in, in don't watch it after dark. Don't watch it alone. Don't. And I'm just like, dude, do you know what a horror movie is? Exactly. Like, People are expecting to be frightened, but I think in his mind he doesn't think it's a horror movie. Wow! He doesn't know that he's made a he doesn't know that he's made um, an example of extreme horror. That's so fucked up. He doesn't think he has, and it's just like, what was the? How did you get into this? Like, how did you make something so extreme if your motivations were so pure? Like exactly, but they're not pure. Like they're so they're so much muddier than actual extreme horror filmmakers. Oh my god! Yeah. Anyway, that if people ins- don't know what we're talking about. Google Megan is missing because I'm sure there's a lot of articles about what happened with this film. But yeah, yeah. I'll send you the link. And the thing is, it's also interesting that he's allowed his film to be on YouTube. Well, that's what's so interesting. It's like with one hand, you're like, you know, this is. He actually said this is a film for parents, not children. Unbelievable! And like, it's like your film's on YouTube for free like and it's very very extreme it's like it's like an exploitation film it, it sounds like it and is. the girls on the podcast were like it's not an exploitation film you know like people have to is. know about these things and oh. I'm like I don't know if that's correct like ah it's, I, oh I wow you've blown my mind yeah so I've just basically been in dialogue with this podcast they can't hear me <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, we I don't know I would say I would have to be devil's advocate like it was like an interesting you know they sound like they're really knowledgeable they've done their research and stuff and one of them was actually talking from a place of like past abuse so obviously she's got like a different she's got like a different frame of mind when she's coming at it but like all I could think of was this guy and his like the way that he presents himself and I was like whoa there's something really to unpack there about this person his lack of awareness yeah very very weird okay interesting interesting i mm-hmm. i would never have guessed something like that and it is just like it's making me want to rewatch it with that in mind i mean if i can find where i like i'm sure that i read stuff that he mm-hmm. like put out there as well so if i can find any of it i'll send it to you but he's yes. like very he likes to talk about like yeah he thinks of it as a psa of something <gasps> that parents should watch to warn them of the very real dangers of the internet it also plays into this like weird american obsession with like white girls getting like kidnapped and sex traffic yeah of like which is like it's not happening or if it's happening it's happening in extremely small numbers it's not like but they have this idea of that it's they have this like obsession this like conspiracy theory yeah. don't they that it's like yeah. it's the pandemic of yeah. like of like girls getting like trafficked so they can be like torture fucked and it's so it's so weird like yeah, that's their fixation it's, it's a total fantasy that like yeah. everyone is engaged in it's so it's just it's like wow. the satanic panic of its yeah. day it like, really is it's so but the, but it's like a weird satanic panic that no one's really arguing with no. <laughs> <laughs> because i guess like because i don't know because i guess like no one's getting like arrested well, um, also because on its terms, if you come out and say, like, if I were just to put out a tweet saying, guys, relax, there's not that many teenage girls getting, like, you know, swindled in, in vans and torture fucked. Like, I'm only just saying that to reassure. 
<laughs> but how is it? It's not. It's not good optics for me because it makes me look like I'm being cavalier about it. I know, and like that's not what I'm being. But I'm just no. Like, it's not that. It's no. just being realistic. It's not that extreme of like a frequency as the way that it's made out. But the problem with the the kind of um, the semantics or the kind of like linguistic issues with with like um, presenting like a, presenting like a counterpoint is that if you do, you sound like you're pro girls getting trafficked. <laughs> like it's just like so stupid. We need to let some. We need to let a small amount get trafficked so the gods will give us a harvest. Right. Like, yeah, that's what I'm really getting at. <laughs> <Yeah. you know? laughs> My next tweet is just me like bathing in virgin blood or something. Exactly. <laughs> it's the, just, don't worry, it's just the annual torture fucking. Like, yeah. don't, so um, a handful of our maidens, don't worry. <laughs> You'll thank me later, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's just, it, yeah, it's just the, at, at the very heart of it, it's just, a, you know, it's like a, a problem with the language. Um, but yeah, um, that's very interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to be honest, I thought that it, w- it was a well-made film, in, mm. just in terms of its like execution. Like the, the the leads were great. But I mean, like, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it doesn't really. It's so funny because like you can intend whatever you want with your sure. art, but the unconscious will ch- find a way through. <laughs> And so, like, in a way, it like, doesn't really matter if people are like, I intended this or I like, you know, I want to inspire people to do this or I want to say that this is right or I want to be a role model because it's like your unconscious is deranged and that's yes. what will come out in your art. So, like, in a way, it's cute <laughs> when people do that, when people say, like, I wanted my art to mean this because it's like you're not in charge. No. And maybe it's, it's you know, just confirming what you speculated, which is that he almost has to say that as a way of, like, asking for forgiveness for what he's preoccupied with. Yeah. yeah like, 100%. his way of, like, asking for forgiveness. He's almost confessing something that he feels uncomfortable about. And by saying it's a PSA, it's, like, absolves him of the guilt he carries about it. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Um, today we're going to be talking about Army Hammer's favorite film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Secretary! Oh my God, I that just... was the best moment when I was watching that with you. It literally yeah. proved your theory. Yeah, one hundred percent. And it was just like it's just so lovely how our series come together <laughs> because they are just pure instinct. They're like a very psychoanalytic process of just associations. We don't know how they work, and then they just slot together so beautifully. That's and amazing. I love that 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 you know rogue bonus episode fitted perfectly in with our series. It's amazing. I mean, it's divine timing. Such such, such divine timing. Oh, actually, before we get started on the films, mm-hmm. um, we have some new donations. Ooh! Um, so thank you very much to Caitlin Hancock's and James Abbott's. Um, I think these are actually recurring donations, which is really, wow. really nice. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, that's wonderful. It's hard for me to tell, but um, we'll find out next month. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we've had some like lovely donate. We've had lots of donations for this series, and it's been really nice, and it makes us feel very appreciated. Aww. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to the new donors and the continuing ones. Yeah. And it just makes us feel so loved. It really does. It makes us feel <laughs> very loved because, you know, in this capitalist society... Money really is the only love. 
unfortunately. Yeah, it's the universal language of love. <laughs> the universal language of love, it is. It totally is. What's our love language? Donations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really great. Um, it's fantastic. I mean, in terms of fetish, mm-hmm. which is the topic today, I was trying to see if I have any good theory to share. Um, I came across a couple of things. So just even on the term fetish, like psychoanalytically what it means, the, the term actually first came into widespread use in the 18th century in the context of the study of primitive religions in mm-hmm. which it denoted an inanimate object of worship. And um, the economist Karl Marx borrowed the term to describe the way that in capitalist societies, talking of, Social relations assume an illusory form of relations between things. So he talked about commodity fetishism, Mm -hmm. which I'm like vaguely familiar with. Um, And then there's the Austro-German psychiatrist, Kraft Ebbing. Mm -hmm. In the late 19th century, he defined fetishism as a perversion in which sexual excitement depends on the presence of a specific object. Mm -hmm. It's all very like dependent, like it hinges on the presence of something that's been deemed a fetish. The fetish is usually um, a non-living object such as, um, I mean, it can be perceived as something like a shoe or a piece of underwear traditionally. It's been spoken about in those terms. But interestingly, Sigmund Freud said that uh, fetishism originates in Usually, the male child's horror of female castration. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Typical. (laughs) So confronted with the mother's lack of a penis, Freud said that the fetishist disavows this lack by finding an object, so a fetishized object, as a symbolic substitute for the mother's missing penis. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I would never dare to read it that literally. I mm-hmm. think that's kind of absurd. But if we just think of it as, I guess what he really means there is that it's like the perception that something is missing in the discourse. And maybe the fetishist just has an impulse or a compulsion to like replace where they see like the missing link. Uh, put in its place like this object that that now has been eroticized and that kind of like closes the gap mm-hmm. in the enjoyment so now without the presence of this object no sex can occur like eros is like dead in its tracks kind of thing so maybe that's kind of maybe it's interesting to look at it that way you know yeah that's interesting someone <laughs> once told me it was actually a fetishist that i knew mm-hmm. who said he said that like fetishes can come from moments of trauma not necessarily the castration moment of trauma mm-hmm. but he said that sometimes people will take something that like it reminds them of something well something people will like unconsciously take an some an innocuous thing from a traumatic event and turn it into a sexual fetish oh. in order to like cope with it better okay basically which i don't know if that's like particularly psychoanalytic but it seemed actually like kind of a reasonable thing yeah like he was he used an example of like um like 
I can't remember it. He just basically used like he said something. It was like quite a gross example. He was like basically like the um, smell of like sweaty shoes mm. during like being like like spanked or beaten as a child can like turn into like a sexual fetish as like an adult as like a, you know I guess like when you think about like boarding school men boys who grow up into like city boys who love being like spanked mm-hmm. yeah, that sort of thing so yes. like and they go they go to like particularly like really cruel boarding schools and then they like grow up and they turn and their thing turns into like a sexual like pleasurably a pleasurable thing mm-hmm. I guess I don't know I don't know how much like um truth there is in that but it actually seems like kind of a logical yeah it does um, process that's so interesting yeah I mean I guess he was like talking just from personal experience (laughs) but like that's kind of and I'm sure it's not like as like a to b as that but and Mm. it probably doesn't happen to everyone in that same way but yeah it's interesting thinking about like in, in when you think about it in that sense, it's like actually a really clever thing that the brain does, or like that the unconscious does, to take yeah. something horrible and make it like erotic. Yeah, it's like as you say, like by way of coping. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Mm. That's so interesting <laughs> to me. <laughs> wow. So had you seen, I mean, obviously you'd seen Secretary, but had you seen The Night Porter before? I had. I, I, it's interesting because this was like an interesting process of seeing two films mm. that I'd seen in quite sort of, I would say like my first stage of sexuality or like, mm. you know, like so Secretary maybe saw when I was 16, mm. Night Porter a little bit later in my early 20s. Okay. But like still I would consider all of that time to be like, as, I don't know, the same kind of, block of time so it's interesting seeing it now and I found them both a bit cringe but not maybe just maybe because they're associated with a time when I was just very different Mm. or like I was I don't know maybe I think maybe I think I'm struggling with my younger self a little bit at the moment Mm. like I keep like getting annoyed with like gen Gen z's for various things (laughs) like Alex like you're so grumpy (laughs) like and I'm like no I think I'm having like a struggle with my younger self (laughs) at the moment (laughs) so yeah it was interesting to kind of see them again and like I was but because I loved them both so much when I was younger Mm. and I actually showed secretary to um at at a zodiac screening a couple of years ago um and I just yeah I just remember like I've always liked Secretary and I had always liked the Night Porter and I think I will like it again but like to it seemed so bonkers both films seemed so bonkers to me especially the Night Porter like I didn't really realize the tone the tone of both films are quite mad yeah (laughs) like they are they have very strange tone especially Secretary actually tonally it's a little bit weird like something about the music is kind of like a bit cartoony yeah. and I don't know exactly. It's a bit strange. It does not seem true to life. No, not at all. Which actually add, you know, both of them, the fact that they're not true to life, like adds to their psychoanalytic appeal. Yeah, yeah definitely. Sure. Because it's kind of like you can have like readings. I mean, I didn't remember a lot of the stuff in The Night Porter, but I, mm. and I did not remember how much that it's set in Vienna. Mm. and they are going that they're like trying to psychoanalyze themselves (laughs) it's so bonkers I hadn't really remembered that yeah it's true oh but Charlotte Rampling's so gorgeous oh oh my god 
She has a perfect face. She does. Oh, she's amazing. My friend Kirsty looks like Charlotte Rampling and she listens to this mm. podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm very excited to see, like, to talk to you about these films. Yeah, Had you seen them before? And Yes. So I saw Secretary when it first released. Mm-hmm. In the cinema? In the cinema. Wow, that yeah. must have been quite an experience. It was. It was. I was like, I was pretty... Um, captivated. Mm-hmm. It was captivating and, when it came out. It really yeah, was. Yeah, it was so different to anything else I'd seen. And I really love James Spader. Like, mm-hmm. he, I find him so attractive. Um, and The Night Porter, I only saw maybe five years ago. So more recently. Oh, okay. For the first time. Um, and then I found, I mean, I really only looked it up because I found out that Lars von Trier said it's his favorite movie of all time. I did not know that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so based on that, I was like, right, I gotta see this. You know, <laughs> Daddy says it's his favorite film. <laughs> yeah, you've got to watch it if Lars von Trier recommends. Absolutely. So, um, and then when I watched it, I, I kind of, I thought I could kind of see the appeal for him based on like the kind of movies that he makes. But I feel like I still didn't get into it that much. I like it as a thought experiment more than anything yeah. else. You know what I mean? It is hard to get into. It is hard to get into. It's got a very like hard shell and there's something at the center of it that is almost like inaccessible. Yeah, I think it is. Like, yeah, it's very like, and I guess, I don't know. I think I watched it much e- more easily mm-hmm. when I was younger because you, when you're young, you do kind of watch films a bit like a sponge and you just absorb sure. them. And so to try and like watch it critically was tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, yeah. And it was, it's interesting. Which one do you want to talk about first? I mean, I was thinking chronologically. Um, so starting with The Night Porter. Yeah. Let's do what it. Do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think that's a okay. good idea. So, uh, The Night Porter, 1974, Liliana Cavani. Mm. After World War II, Max, a former Nazi concentration camp officer, works as a night porter in a hotel in Vienna. Outside his work, he is engaged in the process of analysis, in quotes, uh, with a group of former SS members. When a former inmate, Lucia, arrives at the hotel as a guest, both are forced to confront their shared past and ambiguous sadomasochistic relationship. Mm. Mm. Yeah, these are very messed up people (laughs) hell yes so 1974 Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me because it's not that much after the second world war no it's not and it's about the same time that actually we talked about them earlier i think before we were recording but around like this around like bader meinhof time isn't it is it not yeah so like there was extreme kind of like back um, like a, a backlash or not exactly a backlash but there, there was extreme there's an extreme left or extreme socialist like mm. reaction to that time going on yeah. in germany and yeah. in, meanwhile in italy this was happening <laughs> <laughs> has it been actually considered as a nazi exploitation is that how it's been referred I think it's a Nazi exploitation. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like got a more serious tone than like Ilsa, She Wolf of the SS or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and what's that Tinto Brass one? Salon Kitty. That's the one. Yeah. It's a musical. It's a musical. 
not it's not taking itself seriously then no it's not this is a very um, different tone very different tone so yeah like very different to other nazi exploitation but still 100 mm. nazi exploitation okay yeah okay it's set in the 50s and so these two had had i guess what you could call like a sadomasochistic relationship in wartime yeah so he's depicted as like a sort of rogue doctor or like the guy who's like pretending to be a doctor and performing like experiments it's very horror movie-ish yes it is like I never really realized like how much a horror movie it is all of those scenes in the concentration camp so he's like yeah and he and she's an inmate she's not Jewish she's Mm -hmm. a daughter of a socialist it says Mm -hmm. and they have kind of a relationship where he like sort of torments her but also like protects her Right. And like she's getting bullied by another inmate and he <laughs> kills the other inmate and gives her the inmate's head. <laughs> like, That's right. <laughs> like oh Salome. Um, yeah, so they have, and then, yes, yeah, so they have this kind of relationship where I guess she kind of depends on him for survival. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, and then when she turns up at his hotel, they like fall back into this relationship. Um, but the tables are kind of turned okay. and she's like, sort of rich and free and he's like in this kind of lowly position he's a night this hotel he's a night porter yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like a reversal of I guess the dynamics of what their relationship was like before but what's interesting is that when they re-encounter each other they sort of fall back into their affair Mm -hmm. restart their sexual relationship and they're quite like frantic and desperate with it as well Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I guess what I'm kind of curious about is when we're talking about fetish, I just think of this movie as being a really good thought experiment for just how irresistible that object is that we've we've deemed is the, the fetish, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you have literally like escaped the clutches of threat on your life, <laughs> And now, you you know, by all means, you should be content with, like, your position in life. You've got this, you've got freedom, you know, no one controls you. It's just so interesting how one can be seduced again into what is really, like, I guess, like a dysfunctional pattern. But it is, it is really the side of desire. So in a way, you don't have, like, consciously any control over that. Yeah, 100%. Like, I do think the way that they kind of portray the way that they kind of get together immediately mm. um, as it is like very much like they're not their unconscious kind of takes over and they're it's not like what you were saying control. before yeah and I do it kind of reminds me of remember what Zizek says about vertigo mm. um, he says like um, like on, only by turning her into a dead woman can he like consummate his relationship with her yeah. Like, it's like more, it's that mortification. And I think, like, the fact it's something to do with, like, the relief of not exactly death, but like, kind of, but like a sort of like psychic death. Like, um, um, I think, like, these two people had this, like, experience together that was so, like, kind of close to death and so, like, mm. far away from, like, living life. Mm. And the challenges of living life and going on with your life are so great that it's like a huge relief for them to enter back into this like state of mortification wow that's brilliant 
and it's like and like I think to a certain extent like I think this kind of relationship can be experienced on like a small micro dosing level by anyone like because there's you know the challenge of like it's actually interesting we're talking about Jeffrey Dahmer earlier like you know there's you could have you could have the challenge of like relating to a person and like you know experiencing their like full personhood mm-hmm. you can mortify them and like and there's also like mortify yourself kind of yeah I don't know I think there's something to do it's obviously like they're both finding life so challenging yeah he's finding life challenging because he's guilty yeah he's shameful because he's done he's trying these to cover up things. his crimes he's trying to cover up his crimes he doesn't really want to cover up his crimes but he's sort of being I think like this the hotel the fellow SS officers Mm. the entire place is like his um, his is like his mind Mm. you know like so I think like the kind of there are these like sort of competing like processes and there are these like allies and these enemies and he kind of you know wants to I think he sort of wants to be punished and wants to be caught and wants to I think just kind of really wants to stop living because of the things that he's done but he has these like he has this like weird like kind of super ego like presence sort of telling him to like cover it up telling him to like to like uncover it but also to like cover it up or telling him that in in like in covering it up he is uncovering it i like it's all very confusing what they're saying isn't it it doesn't make any sense um so yeah I feel like it's not it just doesn't seem real that he like he happens to inhabit this hotel that's full of Nazis exactly (laughs) and everyone's in on it everyone that he knows is like part of the this conspiracy like that's keeping him going so I think like the hotel is kind of just his madness Sure. sure You can almost read it as like a Roman Polanski's film Repulsion. Like there's like an yeah. apartment trilogy kind of situation where the the site, like the actual location is a container for his mind. Yeah, I think it really is. Yeah. Because, I don't know, just none of those characters seem real. Like, no. None of them, it doesn't seem like a real situation. Like I can't really put like a name to every character. Like I can't really figure out like what part of his inner life those characters are mm-hmm. but it does seem like he's like it's all, all that he's like in hell yes it's the other thing or like purgatory yes um being like tormented yeah that's kind of what it seems like because mm. you know he did these like horrendous things and that she's like so maybe in the way she's kind of like part of his torment or yeah. something but it's also like you can see I can see you can see from her side that she's like she's made this whole life for herself and she throws it away so easily to go back to this situation um and I just yeah I don't know it's sort of like I can totally see how people do that even in like it doesn't have to be like to go out with someone you met in a concentration camp but like how people (laughs) get back into like unhealthy relationships so easily so easily because like it's so I think there are like there is I think there are like two kinds of love. I think that there's one that is like what we should really be aiming for, which is like a kind of love that makes you want to live your life Mm. where you can sort of like, you can be with a person and that person makes you 
want to go like move on and move forward Mm. there's like the kind of love where you recognize something in some you like where there's something kind of recognizable in someone and the what you recognize is like a past trauma Mm. and they like they kind of like spark those like they spark those familiar feelings for you and it's so easy to stay with those people because because like because it's just easier than being than trying than being brave enough to go on with your life yeah well it's you know it's a known quantity the trauma is a known quantity we've been here before yeah exactly. so the repetition of the situation is actually in a very paradoxical way very alluring in its comfort because it's reassuring to know how this ends it's in reass- it's almost like comforting even though even if it ends in tears at least you you can predict the trajectory of the relationship whereas in a brand new situation that doesn't present the same traumatic parameters that's an unknown quantity and yeah. you don't actually know what's going on there you don't fu- you don't fully know the dynamics because they haven't been mapped out for you. You're not returning to an to 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 old ground. You That's know? so interesting because actually that really explains a lot about fetishists. Yes, of mind because the fetish is always the same. Exactly. Like, and most people get sexually bored by doing the same thing over and over again. Like, you know, people don't want to watch like the same porn and they don't want to have yeah. sex with the same person and do the same thing. Yeah. But like a fetishist will never ever get bored of like whatever the shoe, because like yeah. it's like there's something there's something about like repeat the repetition and the familiarity mm-hmm. that's like really important. I think like fetishism is kind of like a childish state. Yes, and these two are kind of like children. Yeah, when they get together, like they're like playing more than yeah. anything. It, 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 I can see like theoretically or even ideologically how it would be enticing mm. to go after the thing that you've done before. You know, you've gained some mastery in it because you've been here before. Um, I mean, actually, I was reading something about this film and that how it depicts maybe even the political continuity mm. between like wartime Nazism and po- post-war Europe and the psychological continuity of characters locked in a compulsive repetition of the past and this might explain how I guess maybe I don't know if this was like Cavani's intention maybe I don't know whether she made this movie as like a political um, statement Um, but I think it could be read that way that it's like almost like a warning that you know the holocaust is over and like we defeated the Nazis, but we always have to remain vigilant. Like we can't just pat ourselves on the back that we defeated them and that Mm. they're just consigned to the dustbin of history. Unfortunately, that's not the case. And there could be a resurgence of fascism. Uh, People could be tempted to go back. So, you know, like we have, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's really just the same thing about remaining vigilant, even in just inter- in, um, in interpersonal relationships, how we've all had those relationships that haven't quite worked out or they've been toxic, but we can't just assume that we're completely immune now to the temptation of going back. It, we could easily be late, you know, led there again. 
we have to remain aware and I think like in the same time it's important not to like disavow the relation the the previous relationship or the previous like political situation yeah and not like because I think like what happens to Lucia is that she's with this guy who doesn't seem to know anything about it Oh, yeah. She's like, you know, she's really upset. She's really scared. And he's just like, what's going on? Don't you love hearing about my reviews? <laughs> like, he's like <laughs> the worst. But she's clearly like got herself into this place where she's totally like eliminated her past and he doesn't seem to know anything about it. Mm. And that's like, I think maybe the key to why she kind of slips back to it so easily yeah. because she's been trying to pretend that it didn't happen. Oh, wow. And so, and I, like, it reminds me a little bit, um, I, I haven't seen this, but my dad told me that there's, like, a documentary about the children of SS officers, mm-hmm. and in the documentary, one of the children of the SS officer is a grown-up now, in, at the time of the documentary, and they're getting sterilized <gasps> because they don't want their, because they're so kind of traumatized by the crimes of their parents. Okay. And they don't want to continue, like, the bloodline. Okay. And it's so ironic, like, yeah, to be so, like, to to <laughs> be so, like, disgusted and appalled by the, like, by the actions of Nazism mm. and to replicate them, basically. Yes, exactly. Which is so, it's so weird. Like, and so, wow. but that's what happens when you want to, like, distance yourself so much from something that actually yeah. is a part of you yeah like you're going to you're going to commit the same crime again <laughs> without even realizing like oh you know that, that person doesn't didn't realize what they were saying like that you know or what they were doing like because it was just like a desperate attempt to get away sure and I think like and I think that's maybe what Cavani is possibly commenting on yeah you know that they're like they're up there trying to like rewrite this past and trying to like eliminate any witnesses any I think like this con this like this constant idea of like witnesses is like an interesting idea um and like and but it just takes no time at all for it to just go back to how it was by trying to pretend that it never happened oh my gosh that's such a brilliant reading of that I think you're absolutely right I mean, the like, thing is, yeah. what I read, the only thing I read is that Cavani said the Nazis were a homosexual cult who could only be destroyed by female power. So, like, I don't know if, if <laughs> like, I don't know if you can trust her reading. Okay. that's bonkers. I've not heard that one before. Oh, that's yeah. a new one. <laughs> so it's like, it is hard to, like, piece together a reading of this oh. film because... If that was the conceit, that was <laughs> the conceit it was made under, you know. Um, wow. Yeah. So that's so interesting. So in in those desperate attempts to disavow, the subject ends up remanifesting the very thing that they tried so hard to like extinguish, basically. Basically, yeah, I think so. Oh, I don't know. What what's that? What do you think? What purpose do you think the fetishization of Nazism serves? I mean, in yeah. in society, is it just pure? Like, I'm tempted to say that it's just something so horrific that by cosplaying it, like by LARPing as Nazis in like a sex play scenario, mm. 
Um, I'm sorry, I just love that sentence that you just said. <laughs> Amazing. I never thought I'd hear anyone say, by LARPing as Nazis in a sex place scenario. <laughs> I was not expecting yeah. it myself. But I mean, maybe, maybe by, maybe, maybe the play acting, I don't know, and engaging in the, in the fantasy in such concrete terms, like in a collective way, does it just diminish the horror element? Is that the appeal? I, I really don't know. I think it does. I yeah. think it does diminish the horror. And I think that's why yeah. people object to it. Yeah. Because the idea that we, I think that there's like a, I think that there's an unconscious thought, maybe not really mm. verbalized, that we that it should be a wound that doesn't heal, that it should be... It should remain horrific. It should remain horrific. Rightly so. Mm. But on the other hand, I do think... You know what? Like, I used to be quite interested in this. I have this book, which mm. I never actually read, um, called The Unmaking of the Th Fascist Aesthetic, which mm. is about, like, the, you know, the prevalence of that aesthetic in, like, film and television and, and art over the 20th century and I used to be really interested in this because like around my early 20s I think it was when I saw this and I saw Salon Kitty and I was like why is there so why are there so many sexy Nazis all over the place and even like in things where you don't really think it's like it's not doesn't really have that message like the sound of music yeah like you know you have like this like this coming of age like really sexy like song in the green in like the conservatory <laughs> with this guy who ends up being a nazi and he's yeah. like this dreamboat like this dreamboat guy and it's like how are we supposed to how are we supposed to understand that like I you know. know it's like liesel's dream boy and then at the end of the film he's a nazi and i also noticed it in schindler's list you've got ray fines oh. as like and yeah he has like a pot belly that he had to like mm. eat a lot of like protein powder to get and like <laughs> you know he's like it's like the film wants you to like pretend that Ray Fiennes isn't attractive in that role. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And then there's a scene where he has like a Jewish maid and mm. he's like sort of terrorizing her, but she's like just come out of like the shower or she's had a bath or something. She's got like dripping wet hair and like a see-through dress or like a, mm. a nighty, And she's terrified, but she's got a see-through dress and and she's gorgeous and he's gorgeous and I was always like does Steven Spielberg not know like and unconsciously I think sometimes I don't know I do think like this thing creeps in without people realizing yeah. it if you try and so I don't know what it is exactly but it's a very interesting thing where like unintentionally mm. it's happened to in like the most sort of this is in the most wholesome of films, or not wholesome, but you know, like the mm. film that is supposed mm. to be like wholeheartedly condemning this thing. Of course. Has this like quite ambivalent scene in it. And I was always like completely baffled by it, like as to why it was there yeah. and why did no one realize it was there. And so I think sometimes, like, to not, like, I don't know, sometimes you're in more danger if you don't think about that stuff yeah. because then it creeps yeah. in accidentally. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, like, I haven't seen that film for a long time, but I do remember thinking, like, this is weird, like, because he's... Those little you know, slips, you know? It was a slip-up. I think it's yeah. slip-up. I think it's it's weirdly exploitative and it's weirdly sexy in a way, like... And I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, you're grown-ups, you can rise above this, like, woman in her see-through dress with Ray Fiennes because wow. you're a grown-up. 
but I'm just like why does she have to be in a wet dress then <laughs> like yeah I those don't are, know those are choices exactly so I don't know like I think it's something that creeps in even when people don't realize that it's creeping in yeah even when they have good intentions yeah it's still something that seems to come back I kind of know what you mean and I think um, maybe that's the horror of it that this yeah. was going on while yeah. this was going on people were having sex exactly. and people were exactly. having relationships and people were getting on with their lives yeah. and like er- eroticism was still alive and well even when this like horrendous thing was happening and yeah. I think maybe that's where we all that's the thing that is really horrifying and that's why that scene is in that film yeah because it's like supposed to remind us to feel guilty about eroticism like because it's simul- it happens simultaneously with horrendous things and I think yeah, exactly. that's what we object want. evil exactly and maybe that is what the Nazi exploitation people are trying um, to like maybe that is what they're trying to kind of what is the word integrate they're trying to like integrate eroticism with horror because the two things do co do happen simultaneously okay that makes sense um, that makes sense and maybe there, maybe it's something like you know, like the Jungian shadow theory of, you know, the more you disavow your shadow, the the more it controls you and makes you self destructive. But if you gaze into it and try to like, as you say, incorporate it into mm-hmm. your conscious personality, if you just engage with it more often than not, it won't have this dysfunctional hold on you. You can actually like deal with it in a much healthier way yeah so that it doesn't become this powerful object like a fetish yeah that without in the absence of it you can't you cannot enjoy life yeah I guess so okay interesting god I didn't yeah. think this conversation was going to take this turn but like... no me neither <laughs> but it's really down to you because your reading of it is really outstanding oh thank you well I mean I still think it's it's a bit of a messy film or my reading is messy I'm not totally sure but like yeah it does it asks it presents a lot of questions I think yeah that film and yeah and it is somewhat different and it's also interesting because I think that film is so easily consumed in fragments you know, like, yeah. and like even my mind remembered it in fragments Like I didn't remember the entirety of the film. Because if you consume the film in its entirety, it's a really uncomfortable process. Yeah. Like, and it's not actually erotic at all. No, and then people no, no. like fragment these different like scenes and different moments from it. Like I always remembered the bit where like she locks the door of the bathroom and like smashes something oh, yeah. and then she undoes it and he like steps on the glass and then she puts her hand underneath his foot. That's right. And I was always like, I like that. Like, but then obviously like when you watch it like within the film you're like I can't enjoy any of this because it's really <laughs> uncomfortable like, yeah it's very strange yeah very strange but yeah I don't know yeah I think it is I think it is all in as you said the what what was the word you used for their for LARPing like, no not LARPing um <laughs> for like you know the way that they kind of come together I can't remember what you said. It was a good word to kind of describe the quality of their, like, their, like, kind of mood or their... Well, they seem, to to me, they seem so, like, frantic and desperate. Frantic, yeah. Yeah. I think that was so... I think that's, like, maybe where the key of the film is. That they're not really, like, it's just how fast and how, like, downhill it all goes. (laughs) And how fast, you know? Yes. 
like I don't think they love each other I think they just want to like kill each other basically they just want it all to be over don't they I think so yeah they seem just almost like on autopilot yeah exactly it's like and that is the thing it does seem like an afterlife of some kind it's just like the souls have left the bodies yeah it's very uncomfortable because it's like you you can these are not embodied people yeah no they're not you know, they are just like they're almost like the it's like the undead. It's like it's like zombies. <laughs> it is, and I think like actually guilt has a lot to do with it for both yeah. of them because like I think she has guilt as well. Yeah, because she like sort of was like an she kind of formed this alliance in order to stay alive. That's right. Um, and I think like people do have like survivor's guilt as well, don't they? Yeah, he's got like yeah. he's got like yeah. the guilt. He's got guilt for good reason, and then she's got also this like guilt yeah. as well. Um, and it's like guilt that like they neither one of them can really live with. That's right. Hmm. That's exactly it. And I don't think either one of them is living. Like well, not really. I think it kind of no. is like they died there in that camp. <laughs> yeah, they really did spiritually. Yeah, this is probably like a good place to check in with the listeners and say, if you're thinking of going back to that toxic ax, <laughs> don't do it because do you're just going to be, you're going to be a zombie. You are. Do you want to I mean... be a zombie? <laughs> oh my gosh. Sorry. I, I'm so excited that Scorpio season is just around the corner. We're going to be at the height of our powers. I know. What shall we do? <laughs> Ooh, we should, we should plot something. Just overthrow the government. Yeah. <laughs> Scorpio season will end with me self-immolating. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Outside Quasi Quartang's house. And then I'll have to do the podcast alone. <laughs> yeah, and our films don't help. They do not help. Should we move on? Let's move on. Okay, Secretary, 2003, or two? Mm-hmm. Oh, two. Okay, sorry, 2002. Um, Stephen Shaneberg, who I don't think mm. really I know any other films by Stephen Shaneberg. No, me neither. Um, after being released from a mental institution, socially awkward self-harmer Lee attempts to adapt to a normal life by applying for a job as a secretary for an eccentric yet demanding attorney, E. Edward Gray. I'm sorry, that's a very long sentence. I did not edit. Um, <laughs> soon, their professional relationship gives way to a series of sadomasochistic encounters and Lee experiences a personal awakening. Mm-hmm. Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh, she's so good. She's so good. Zoe Smith doppelganger. Oh my God. Yeah, she does look like Zoe. Don't you think? Yeah, that's very interesting. I never saw that before, but you're completely right. She does look very similar. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) So Um, many doppelgangers in the podcasting community. (laughs) Yes, there really are. Yeah, for sure. Having said that, I can only think of those two. So um, maybe. Well, maybe I mean, on. you and Mia. Yeah, yeah, me and Mia. Yeah, Mia. Um, the first thing that I want to comment on is her sewing kit. Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> that is so. I mean, it's just so interesting to me because um, she's got a whole ritual, right, mm-hmm. with self harming. It's just the way that she like organizes it. It's obviously something she's been doing since, like, maybe her childhood. Yeah. 
Yeah, what did you think of that? I mean, it's so interesting that it's, yeah, it's all kind of full of childlike objects or child objects from childhood. It's mm. got, like, stickers on it. And, like, her tool, even her self-harming tools are, like, pretty. Yeah. Like, they're kind of, like, perversions of, like, pretty, in like, childhood objects. Yes. Um, but right. I wasn't, like, I didn't really form a conclusion. I just noticed it and hoped that you had... I couldn't help but think that it was significant because she brought that stuff to work. Yeah. And um and obviously she, you know, she must have brought it because she felt like if she ever felt anxious or for whatever reason she could rely on that method to like ground her, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it's from for me it's the fact that it's the fact that he came in for some reason and then caught her with with her sewing kit. Yeah. And then he commented on it afterwards. He like was so direct. Like that's the thing in the movie that fascinates me the most is the way that he confronts her. Mm -hmm. Because that would never happen. No, but it's what every self-harmer wishes would. Right. Yes. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like that. I mean, you do this secret thing. Yeah. That, you know, is so lonely. Yeah. Like, you you want someone to... To notice. To notice and to take responsibility for you. Right. That's kind of what I had this hunch about. And I then I thought, well, if that's the case, then really this movie is entirely structured as a fairy tale. Yeah. It's like this dark fairy tale where she's you know, the the sort of classic, I guess, Disney princess, if you will, like lost in the wilderness of um, this impulse. And also like, you know, maybe not a very high self, like self-regard for herself. You know, mm-hmm. she she struggles with that, I think, initially. And it's it's the, the kind of like Prince Charming moment, let's say, if you want to c- kind of compare it to um, let's say Cinderella because mm-hmm. Cinderella is really about recognition it's it's really about like the the girl who was always in the ashes now suddenly you know sparkling and attracting the gaze of of someone that everyone else perceives as having high status yeah but he only has has eyes for her you know she, he recognizes her worth and her value and he sort of like re- rescues her out of this abject miserable life but it's through the process of recognition Mm. so so it's like that's the saving aspect so it's like I, I can't I couldn't help but think that maybe this whole thing is really just some kind of um maybe like much more grown up version of a fairy tale because it does read so like it's like you said before like the tone it seems so implausible yeah it does seem very implausible and like the set design and everything production design is very bizarre because I also thought that it was interesting that it was in a sewing kit as well like those objects were in a sewing kit it's like she's trying to stitch herself back together yeah and that is I think doesn't he say that like he does he say exactly stitching though he doesn't say stitching. Doesn't he say something like, uh, "You you harm yourself on so, so that the pain you feel on the inside manifests on the surface, so mm-hmm. so you have proof that you were really here." 
Mm. And then you watch the wound heal. Yeah. And that's kind of comforting. Yeah, that's what he says. You know, it's like that gag in um, Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, when he, when Christian Grey uh, shows Anastasia like his playroom. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I have unconventional tastes or whatever. And he just like, he just like swings the door open and it's like whips and chains everywhere. He obviously doesn't feel ashamed about that. You know, he's perfectly like content with where he's at sexually. But she's she's not. This character in, in Secretary is like, it reminded me of this quote, actually. It's by Elias Canetti, the writer, where he said, his head is full of stars, but not yet arranged in constellations. Ooh. That's a great line. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I thought maybe maybe this film is almost like structured on the idea of the progression of infantile sexuality into maturity. Like it's kind of st- staging the the different like levels of progression, the way that we develop and mature. Oh my and God. Continue. This be- is so interesting. Yeah, that maybe you're just kind of like initially you're just experimenting with things and you know that you have impulses. It's like your head is full of stars. You know, you've got these ideas that occur to you, but there's no like rhyme or reason. There's no, it's not really structured in such a way that it can bring meaning for you. They're not connected or joined together in a significant way for you, for you to have enjoyment really. But it really takes, like in the fairy tale version of events, it takes someone with the wisdom and maybe the experience to come along and kind of recognize potentially what your impulses are and then give you a script. (laughs) That's so interesting. It really like reminds me. And actually this, uh, you know, I've been looking at like creativity in these films Mm. because, you know, that kind of follows on from how we've looked at other films yeah and with um nine and a half weeks um you kind of referred to yeah your character is like a curator yeah this character is like is like a gardener yes (laughs) because he's got those orchids yeah he's got those orchids um so like there is like creativity in this film as well Mm mm-hmm uh, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and then you're right, the fairy tale, because there is like a test at the end. Yeah. That she, where like, or like a quest where she has to like pass this, she has to perform this difficult feat mm-hmm. where she has to like sit at that desk and just wait. I'm actually performing a similar feat because I've been really to go to the toilet for about half an hour. Oh, God. <laughs> so I know just how she feels. Um, <laughs> Do you want to take a break right now? Can I? Can I use yeah, that? Please, like, like, please. To to the toilet? I actually had to undo my jeans because my jeans are so tight and my bladder was really hurting. Oh, I'll be right back. You. Okay. You can leave this in because it's a really good segue. <laughs> I'll be right back. Okay. Oh my god, that's so much better. Oh good. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, no problem. Uh, but you know, as I went to the toilet, I was thinking. Yeah. Um, you're totally right. It is Cinderella because, mm. like, she gets like recognized by him. Yes. And then she has to go back home. She gets like she has to go. She goes to go back to her old life. Kind yeah. Of. Um, and then she has to like pass this test. 
yes to get to like prove that she's like the woman of his dreams yeah exactly so it, it really is like i was thinking like you know there's not very many te- like fairy tales where women have to perform a quest but actually there kind of is in cinderella because she has to like fit this shoe doesn't she exactly exactly <gasps> you know like yeah exactly and she does you know there's this kind of you know her family is dysfunctional yeah so much of it is about like fitting together in a way that makes sense. And she's got this boyfriend as well. <laughs> He's so funny. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of secondhand embarrassment going on um, with that boyfriend. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, I mean, he, you know, maybe he was very well intentioned, whatever, but it's like their desires were not compatible. Mm. They weren't, they didn't fit together ideologically. And so, is this then the perfect scenario, like the perfect romantic scenario, where if you have two people who have complementary fetishes, then that's the recipe for the perfect setup? Yeah. Yeah, like the the fetish is like, yeah, I guess it is. But also like the fetish is like a place of safety for both of them. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. So I think the way that it kind of like, the way that they like use, I don't know, I love the way that they kind of like use their fetish to like feel kind of okay about life. Yes. Together. Exactly. Like, and that's like, and he's, I don't know, I love, I do love like the end where he says, we can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And she's like, <laughs> why not? And it's like, it's so sweet. But like, and then I don't know, it's nice that she kind of like teaches him how to like, use it for safety rather than use it to feel like out of control exactly or like shameful which is really sweet and like I don't know it's nice that she it is like a fairy tale it really is and I think even more so when we think that if we accept that it's based on Cinderella in some way Mm -hmm. or it's at least like imitating the structure of Cinderella I mean the, the prince in Cinderella was a shoe fetishist yeah that's so true Right? Oh my god, yes. He wanted to find the lady who could fit that shoe. Like he was obsessed and preoccupied. His enjoyment was predicated on the shoe. That's so true because he can't even like remember what she looks like. No. <laughs> He's just like she has to be in this shoe. Like, exactly. Exactly. So oh my god, Mary, that's genius. <laughs> yeah, he was hooked on shoes. Oh and my so, god. So she, they just had this like lovely marriage where she had all the shoes she could possibly want. And right? he, like as long as he got to enjoy them too. <laughs> yeah, I want to see the version of Cinderella where she's like wearing stilettos and like you know, has has her heel on his neck or something like that. 100%. Like it's so cute. We should make we should put that on the list for production. Like a sure. retelling of a shoe fetishist retelling of Cinderella. Cinderella. Yeah. Oh my god, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, because it seems like the object has to be in its rightful place for the fit to, you know, have a lasting positive effect in the relationship. Maybe mm. that's the key. I mean, I have to say, I was very envious of her life. <laughs> I know it was so lovely like and it's interesting because they're like the healthy version of the couple in the 
Night Porter. Yeah, exactly. Because they like they're they've got this interesting thing where they have accepted a certain level of stagnation or a certain yeah. level of like mortification in order to both be able to like move forward with their yes. lives. So like they've got they've like found this balance that kind of works for them. Whereas exactly. like in the Night Porter the mortification is like at the expense of living. Yeah. And in Secretary it's like an accent to living you know like it's like a tool for living yeah exactly it facilitates the life force yeah exactly this like constant reminder of death like (laughs) facilitates their lives and like allows them to like grow up basically yeah yeah exactly like now she's completely matured out of that kind of girlish impulse Mm -hmm. um that was not serving her before you know Yeah, you're you're so right. Yeah, because I mean, of course, I'm thinking of like the scene where he also like examines her the scars on her body, mm. and it's he's very accepting of her. Like they're both very embodied. Yeah, they don't seem like they're trying to escape their situation. Like they're they're very fully present, which makes me think of. Because I mentioned to you before that I've done EMDR therapy. Mm. In the therapy, we had to also use, um, like I had to use grounding objects. So if I felt like dissociated, the grounding objects would help me. So I had like um, a few things, actually. I had rose quartz stones and um, I had like some essential oil as well, like eucalyptus. Like the smell is so strong, you know, (laughs) it brought me back in my body. But also like a picture of my niece, like just little things that were like brought me back into the present moment, like grounding. And I think that in a way the fetish also is, is kind of like a grounding object too. Yeah, you're right. It's like this material thing that you can cling to. And maybe for her, I mean, the way I read it, how she was engaging with the self-harm was um, more as an escape. Yeah, 100%. And I think like there's a point where the fetish becomes an escape. Yes. As well, because Mm -hmm. she has to say, she says time out to him. That's right. Um, But I think that's the the point where they're not... um, admitting that it's happening or like he's not admitting that it's happening or like it's kind of being like disavowed in this strange kind of way Mm -hmm. of like yeah he's sort of ignoring it he's ignoring like all of her advances and her like she's kind of like initiate play and he's like ignoring her um yeah and so I think like by the end of it that's how they've learned to kind of they've learned to use the fetish as like a grounding object that's right. But it does. Exactly. It's not throughout the film. Like it kind of gets like out of control. Yeah. Um, yeah. They they have to kind of learn each other's boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, you know, it's kind of like an idealized version of that kind of relationship, and the way that it's like mapped out in the film. I I can see the appeal of that. One hundred percent. Like it is idealized because. I mean, it's it's idealized along quite traditional like lines. Mm-hmm. Like it's idealized because she doesn't really want to do anything, yeah. And he is a lawyer, <laughs> like, and he just so happens to want to like be the breadwinner, yeah. like, in this in their relationship, yeah. Um, yeah. 
but still it's like it's such an idealized version and I think it's like really comforting to I think it's a really comforting lovely film yeah I agree and I don't know why it and it's obviously not to Army Hammer (laughs) (laughs) but it should be it should be very comforting lovely film um because yeah it is this idealized thing I don't know understand how he could have watched it and then continued to want to sleep with girls that weren't interested I know BDSM. like it's so weird it's so this, weird. Is, this is actually like a lovely you know version of the of that dynamic it's yeah. so positive and he ended up watching that and thinking yeah, I'm going to corrupt women yes. who are not into it. It's like, what? What, what? what film did you watch? Yeah. Like the very fact that he actually told someone, I still can't get over it. Oh yeah, secretary. It's about a guy who forces a woman to be submissive. It's like, that's not what this What's is at all. <laughs> like, like It's like the photographic negative of that. Very, very strange. Very strange. I actually once recommended this film to a guy in my class. Really? And he found it very upsetting. Oh my god. Like really upsetting and disturbing. I feel I feel quite bad. Oh no. Yeah. So it's not for everyone. It's not for you if you like have a if you're not very I don't know. I don't know what it was that set him off about that film. Because I think it's quite a sweet film. I think so too. But like I was nervous when I showed it for Zodiac, honestly. Because what did you like, get as a response? Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think it was like slight bafflement, actually. And I think maybe showing it to like a younger generation, mm. it just came across as like a film about a woman that was being sexually harassed at work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and it, it was an HR problem. It was an HR. It came across as like an HR problem, and like I was like. Mm. I don't know. I found it quite hard to like carry like the belief and the film. Now that I've spoken to you about it, it's fine. But yeah. like, yeah, it was a different experience to when I watched it as like a sixteen-year-old and found it like really uplifting yeah. and eye-opening. I guess maybe like, mm, I mean, I was like a self-harmer as a teenager. I think mm. I've spoken about that on the podcast before. Yeah. So I think I found it comforting for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is about like, yeah, because as you say, like it's about someone kind of being seen. Sure. Um, about someone who has like a secret and they're and they're like seen and accepted for who they are. And mm-hmm. I like very much needed that at that age. Yeah. So I think it's really nice film for that reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if the kids today still self harm. <laughs> like maybe it's out of fashion. <laughs> <laughs> or do you think it's maybe the these kids are maybe they're in a culture that doesn't want to like confront darker elements of female desire so when 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 a woman is engaging in things like this the assumption is that she must have been tricked yeah maybe maybe i think that's true and i think like a lot of in I think a lot of things are kind of externalized yeah. in that generation. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe like um, I think, and I think like as very rightly so, like there's a, there's an emphasis on um, like social injustice yeah. and inequalities and 
you know, and I can see like the benefit of that in the situation that we're currently in. Yeah. But have, if, like, you know, expelling some blame outwards. But I think it also makes it difficult to take responsibility for your own desires. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really something that's needed to mature, basically. Wow. Amen so, to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if you just read it literally at face value, and if you know nothing about that kind of subculture of sexuality, mm. I, I, I do understand, like, the, the temptation to think, this is so patriarchal. Like, you know, he's the boss and he's like taking liberties yeah i mean it's not great hr wise (laughs) no it just made me think of like being it also just made me think about being like a creative industries being like a young person in the creative industries and i was like oh god you know what you get one weird job and then you're stuck in weird jobs forever (laughs) like because there's so many like weird bosses out there who are like you know here's my vanity project like would you do some work in would you work for me and then you're in like a job that's not proper like for the rest of your life and I was like oh no she's got a job that's not proper with a weirdo she's her career's gonna go nowhere (laughs) so like maybe just like to them to the audience that just commented on the jobs market like (laughs) Like the only people that we can like sell our like soft skills to are like weirdo guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can and understand that concern. It's not as funny when like, you know, when we have like a financial crisis and the only way you can make money is like selling your like feet pics to the losers, you know, <laughs> like go on OnlyFans. Like really, I think like, this, you know, the sex work industry has become a tyranny, like, in these dark times. So yeah. maybe, like, maybe the combination of sex and work in this film is unsettling sure. for that reason in this in this economy. In this like, economy, secretary's yeah. not fun anymore. It's not, like, cute. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and so maybe for that reason, Army Hammer coming from, like, that kind of wealth, mm. he is actually attributing things to it. You know, th- they don't belong. He's just reading it as a way to to exploit. Yeah, and I think because this film doesn't have a lot of, like, grounding in, like, financial realities. No. I don't really think of this as, like, a labour film. Not at it's all. It's not a film about work. Like, she's not getting a job to earn money. No. She's getting a job, like, for some kind of, like, to for some some kind of process in her recovery and her maturity exactly because she says like you know he's he does say to her like you're overqualified this is very dull and she's like it has to be dull like it's important yeah. to me that it is dull so yeah it's yeah. not really about work it's, it's not like, about creative ambition she's not trying to get ahead in his company like yeah. you know um, yeah. she's trying to give head in his company <laughs> That's very good, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, it's so funny because like, I think that at least when I saw it, this film actually normalized quite a lot of, um, I mean, just, you know, S&M stuff. Yeah, same. I think it did quite a good, a a great service. Yeah. 
to S&M stuff. Like, yeah, I think other films that we've talked about, like Nine and a Half Weeks, didn't mm. do the oh. same oh. job of like bringing it out of the shadows as no. this film did. Do you also think that James Spader is lightly making fun of Mickey Rourke throughout oh. this entire film? Well, now you say it. I can see why you think that. Because just like Mickey Rourke, he talks very quietly yeah. all the time. Like, I really think that it's maybe a joke on his part, mm-hmm. like about nine and a half weeks. Because mm-hmm. wasn't James, and James Spader is like involved in this, it, that like first yes. wave of like erotic filmmaking. 100%. And so like he brings this legacy to this film otherwise wouldn't be there this like this film is like new wave erotic cinema yeah because what was he like... before like sex lies and videotape yeah. uh crash yeah so he's been in a few things he's a where... veteran of this veteran. thing and they brought him in there with this like with this new young actress yeah um yeah so i think he like brings this legacy with him I so. and i think he's slightly making fun of it yeah yeah for sure I don't think he's like self-aware enough to make fun of his own films, though. I think he's only <laughs> making fun of Mickey Rourke instead. Easy target. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we nailed it. Yeah, I think so. I think we covered it. Yeah. <laughs> We're almost done with the series. We only have one topic to cover now. Yep. And that's paraphilias. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be in two weeks. And yeah. then um, in the meantime, we're going to be at LFF. Yeah. So depending on what happens, you might talk about some of those films a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Well, in the meantime, um, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Keep rating, reviewing, subscribing, doing all of the things that help us. We very much appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for your engagement on social media and your donations. Oh, and Mary's going to be doing her Halloween posting on Instagram all month, which we very, very much enjoy. So enjoy that. (laughs) Until next time. Bye. I stand I'm your man